This is District Sentinel Radio. It's the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. And we're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. This is the show we do for you, our subscribers. we got the garbage can coming out later. we got some FOIA follies. Got some news to get to. Happy New Year, Sam. Happy New Year, Sam. First show of 2023. I'm done with resolutions. I didn't even make one. No, no, nor did I. I mean, what's the point of, you know, establishing a new habit for three weeks and then just feeling bad about giving it up? Uh, so we're recording Friday afternoon here. There's still no speaker of the house. Kevin McCarthy has just lost his 12th vote, which is the most ballots it's taken to elect a speaker. And we still haven't elected one uh, in the post-Civil War era. The only time it went beyond one ballot post-Civil War was in 1923, so exactly 100 years ago. And it went to nine ballots before they finally had a speaker. So McCarthy's broken that record. And there's probably going to be a few more votes. (laughs) Well, if he really wants to make history, he's going to have to break uh, triple digits because in 1855, it took 133 ballots. The the House historian describes it this way, uh, which is somewhat troubling in the context of uh, the current political climate. Quote, sectional conflict over slavery and a rising anti-immigrant mood in the nation contributed to a poisoned and deteriorating political climate. And uh, it was finally, after 133 ballots, uh, the speakership was won by Nathaniel Banks of Massachusetts. He beat Representative William Aiken of South Carolina by three votes. And if you're thinking the guy from Massachusetts winning over the guy from South Carolina, that was, you know, uh, uh, good or whatever. Well, Banks was a member of the Know Nothing Party, uh, which was virulently anti-immigrant and for some reason focused on Catholics like they were super anti-Irish. This is from the time when the Irish were definitely not fully white and... uh, (laughs) Super anti-Catholic, super anti-Irish. Um, Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York. He was basically, um, you know, one of them. And so, looking back, you know, looking at the current headlines and seeing what's the historical precedent, not very encouraging. If you're like planning a vacation in the next few years. <laughs> Like you hear any anything in U.S. history happening in the 1850s, you're like, huh, what comes next? <laughs> McCarthy has tried to peel off some of these holdouts and has managed to do so in this 12th ballot. Uh, some of the things he's promised are rules changes that would make it easier for him to be removed as speaker. Uh giving a lot of these uh, holdouts representation on important committees like the rules committee, Um, making sure that legislation is not combined, but passed separately. Um, And also 
a $75 billion cut to defense spending, which okay, is... That, that kind of rules. Yes, well, this would be... Um, in addition to a cut to domestic spending, it would be austerity across the board. Ah, okay. uh, but it's the Not so cuts to defense spending that would be, you know, controversial for Congress to actually pull off. Of course. Where uh, there would be some resistance to that. But um, part of the agreement, McCarthy uh, will push to cap fiscal year 2024 spending across government at 2022 levels. And since in the intervening years, the Pentagon's budget rose $75 billion, that would amount to a $75 billion cut, which we know that won't happen. <laughs> that won't happen. So, so basically the holdouts are getting nothing out of this except for uh, publicity and um, to exact revenge on McCarthy for inarticulate reasons. Yeah, I don't... Um... A lot of the yeah, and a lot of the concessions are like cosmetic in the sense that only one person is required now to bring up a motion to remove McCarthy as speaker. It used to be a majority. At one point it was five members. Now it's just one member. You still have to win the vote afterward, right? So that's not much of a change. And a lot of these spending cut like you're still dealing with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. So a lot of this stuff is out of McCarthy's hands. So it's not exactly clear. And I guess there was a commitment or these holdouts want a commitment that McCarthy won't primary them, won't support primary challenges against them. But yeah, there's not much that that the holdouts are getting that make it worth it because they are going on TV a lot, but they're getting shit on a lot. I mean, Gates is now up there speaking and everybody's just walking out on him when he talks <laughs> and everybody's talking about what a clown show this is. So for the people who are like, this is why force the vote works. This is why Democrats <laughs> should have done this. There we go. Like there imagine go. you got there. Imagine how the press would be, given how the press is being pretty critical of Gates and Boebert and clowning on them, imagine how they would have treated like progressives who are doing this. It would have been far harsher. One two, the entire thing was stupid because nobody, nobody believed in it. I mean, door and Brianna joy, great joy, gray. Uh, I always say it wrong. I always switch those. You always say accent. gray joy. It's joy. Gray. Yeah. But uh, they had an event, right? They organized an event and like a dozen people showed up. So it was just a failure from the care. And the reason why that happened is because these people alienated any organization that would be useful toward working toward this goal. From DSA to labor organizations to other progressive organizations other socialist organizations, all that stuff. They're just like, no, this is a we're podcasters. We know better than all these groups. Let's also not forget that um, the term force the vote didn't refer to forcing a vote on uh, the speakership. It was to force a vote on Medicare for all, which they ultimately conceded was a losing vote. 
but right. then they would be able to tell who was for and who was against it as if like that's not already evident based on who co-sponsors the legislation every every session and the other thing about it last thing we'll say and then we can move on from this because it is mostly just online garbage nobody is like focused on this outside of twitter but at the time of the speaker race in 2021 there were more moderates threatening to hold out their vote from Pelosi than there were squad members. And yes, the Congressional Progressive Caucus is, has like 60 members, but that's in name only. A lot of these are moderates who Pramila Jayapal and Mark Pocan or Rahul Grijalva, I'm not sure who, which one of those was the other co-chair this last term, just let everybody join the progressive caucus and therefore diluted whatever ideology existed within the caucus. But when it came down to it, it was Gottheimer and all these moderates who wanted to withhold their vote from Pelosi to get concessions because she was too progressive. They wanted Tim Ryan or some, some other more centrist Democrat there. So when it came down to it, and Pelosi doesn't have the votes to be speaker, who is she going to reach out to to make concessions? Is she going to reach out to give stuff to AOC and Ilhan Omar and squad members who uh, she is antagonized for most of her term? Or is she going to reach out to the moderates and give them what they want to push her over the line and end up with an even shittier deal for everybody else? And it's obvious the answer would have been the moderates um, at the end of it a lot of the moderates ended up withholding their vote or voting present on the on the speaker vote still uh, anyway but the the opportunity was never there the way that the force the vote people say it was there it was never there having said that if i was in congress i wouldn't have supported nancy pelosi just and I don't trust AOC and Ilhan Omar and all these people to make correct votes. I've seen them make wrong votes over and over again. I'm over it. I'm not getting disappointed. I'm not spending much time on it. Like, I'm not feeling betrayed by it any more so than anybody else. They're all garbage. Okay? Let's go focus on other stuff that's more important that's happening than, other than like, like st strategy in the U.S. House of Representatives that's going to lead to absolute nothing. Nothing. It's this one weird trick that uh, dedicated political organizers doing hours and hours of thankless work don't want you to know about. <laughs> How to just click your heels and uh, bypass the entire United States political system uh, to uh, go warp speed ahead to, to um, free at point of service healthcare. Yeah. It rules. Maybe there was a case to make for Tim Ryan as speaker just because, like, he would be more pro-labor than Nancy Pelosi, who, like, is obviously um, laser-focused on fundraising. But that debate stops being interesting after, like, five minutes, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is... Um, parliamentary politics are only getting us uh, so far. Yeah, like, uh, what is the upset... Like, what is the... 
What is the upside of what's going to come out of the House anytime in the next few years? Failed votes on Medicare for all. Nothing. Like nothing's coming out of Congress <laughs> anytime soon, folks. I, I hate to break it to you, especially you the next two years. <laughs> you have no idea how bad they're going to look when they take that vote. When the clerk marks their names down in blood and infamy. So we got to moving on here. Uh, some more data points on the uh, Jerome Powell recession watch with the uh, Fed hiking interest rates. Uh, we have more distress to report. Well, Bed Bath & Beyond is uh, looking more like it's fully beyond right now. <laughs> it is reportedly preparing to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, according to uh, reporting in the Wall Street Journal this week. We have Samsung, the electronics giant, reporting that its uh, fourth quarter profit is down 69%, uh, which the Financial Times says highlights how a slowing global economy is crushing demand for semiconductors and electronics products. Uh, hotels are also on borrowed time and they're running out of luck. Uh, according to Bloomberg Law, 5% of corporate loans tied to the lodging industry are uh, delinquent and distress is only expected to increase uh, with borrowing costs on the rise. Um, so, you know, anyone looking for maybe one big FTX style failure um, as as like the uh, sign that we're uh, entering into troubled waters is maybe looking for the wrong thing. It's possible we'll have some huge event like a, a Lehman Brothers style thing where everyone looks back to this one big failure and goes, oh, this is where it all went to shit. But with interest rates on the rise, generally, it could be death by uh, a million paper cuts here we're looking at. I don't know. I'm surprised by the Bed Bath & Beyond news. I figure that that is a, a company that could weather a recession. I mean, maybe, but can it really Were compete? they invested in FTX or something, too? <laughs> I, I just, retail has generally... Um, been taking a hit like brick and mortar retail i mean i know that you can buy a lot of stuff online but yeah. i'm just thinking of the uh, bed bath and beyond that i've frequented um the real estate can't be cheap the rent can't be cheap and they're huge stores they're huge fucking stores so you know it's probably a zombie for a while and how can it compete with the purely online realtors that have combined the uh, the retail space with their warehouse space. They don't need a storefront. There were some uh, jobs numbers on Thursday that came out that suggested that wages uh, might be increasing. And that prompted the stock market to drop 340 points <laughs> right off the bat. And then on Friday, the actual jobs numbers came out and it showed that there was growth. The unemployment rate went down, but wage growth did not happen. Uh, and that then shot the stock market back up. You know, I mean, it's, it is easy to say and probably correct to say that, um, you know, that, that investors look at uh, the labor market uh, being uh, bad for workers as a good thing for capital. But it also, I would say that they're probably trying to, 
figure out what the Fed is thinking with regards to wage growth. And I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry for uh, financial market splaining here. It's, a, it's all a bunch of shit. And, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, the signal is, oh, shit. Wages are still high. The Fed is going to start cranking up interest therefore, rates again. Yes, therefore the Fed which is, is going to crash the economy. Uh, I think that yeah, that that's probably the reason. But I, I do also think because there there was, um, still pretty high employment, and the Fed is pretty explicit about bringing that down. They want to see more unemployment. And just news alone of high employment doesn't rattle the market. It's only the wage growth side that really rattled the market, which mm. I think the primary mover is what you said that, oh, shit, you know, the Fed is going to really ramp it up. But also these guys look at it like it's all part of the pie. And if Workers are getting a larger part of the pie. That means fewer profits for investors. True. No, that, that yeah, definitely. Some good news for workers. The Federal Trade Commission, under Chair Lena Khan, has proposed a rule that would ban non-compete clauses in labor contracts. These are uh, provisions that prohibit workers from leaving their job to join another company in the same industry working in the same field or starting their own business in the same field. Corporations say that these are necessary to protect their trade secrets, but like one in five workers in the U.S. economy are subject to them. So like 30 million people. And it's not just, you know, Facebook workers or tech industry people or people who work at Goldman Sachs or whatever that have access to what might be sensitive corporate information, but also just low-wage service worker jobs as well. You might remember a few years ago, Jimmy John's got into trouble because it was forcing its workers to sign non-compete agreements that they couldn't go work for like Subway or they couldn't go start their own sandwich shop after working for for a number for a year or two after working at Jimmy John's. And yeah, what it well, does is it keeps the point of it is it keeps wages low. Of right? course. If, if you if you can't leave your job to go work at a different company in the same industry using the skills you've acquired for a higher pay, then your employer has no incentive or is not forced to meet your wage demands to give you higher wages. And just like the uh, government overclassifies um, information to, you know, keep the voting public in the dark about things, these companies will um, overclassify their their so-called trade secrets uh, as as the justification here. Like uh, uh, Jimmy John's was probably like, oh, the angle that we cut our sandwich, like we can't have our our people reveal that. Like it would make sense if this was if if non competes only applied to, you know, high level corporate executives who are under legitimate contracts who, you know, didn't just know intimate details about secrets, but also like corporate strategy and shit. You know, that would make sense. But 
it's obviously it it's a scam to try to uh to to undermine workers bargaining power obviously and uh best of luck to the FTC and then I'm sure this will get to the federal courts where they will um where they will say that workers should be able to have freedom of contract to enter into deals with corporations that um, treat them like indentured servants. Yeah, this is just a proposed rule that now goes through the public comment period where Chamber of Commerce and its affiliates are going to shit their pants for six months, sending in uh, mass mailers and stuff. And then assuming it is finalized, there'll be lawsuits against it. Mass mailers. Ah, I'm glad you brought that up. This is this is kind of um, unrelated, but the uh, former occupant of where I live uh, used to be a congressional staffer, and we got this mailer uh, addressed to her or current resident. Like, okay, sure. Uh, that's that's from the natural gas industry, featuring like Heidi Heitkamp. Um, and and Mary Landry, uh, uh, like photos of them and, and like some op eds that they wrote in favor of natural gas. And I'm wondering, do they purchase? And the answer is probably yes. Do they purchase lists of congressional staffers and and micro target them with this shit? Maybe. Not at all surprised to see those two uh, <laughs> representing the natural gas industry, though. No, not at all. Democrats, man. Wall Street Journal opinion. You can't eat without natural gas. <laughs> Look, I'm I have been I skeptical of electric stoves. <laughs> nice. I have been skeptical of electric stoves in the past, but my next stove is going to be electric. I can I can tell you that much right now. If if I have a choice, if I have a say, you know, the the natural gas has to go. So actually, I, I vehemently disagree, Senators Landry and Heitkamp. You can definitely eat without natural gas. I've got an electric stove and I love it. Get a cast iron pan. That thing gets as hot as as hot as you need it every time. Plus, if you have an electric stove doing hot knives, way easier. <laughs> the FTC says that if this rule is finalized, it will raise wages by like $300 billion. <laughs> So this is a big deal, and uh, it'll make Chair Jerome Powell's job a lot harder. Yeah. Something strange happened at the U.N. Security Council on Thursday. The United States actually criticized Israel. Whoa. This was during an emergency meeting after the provocative actions taken by the New Netanyahu government in Israel, they were just sworn in a few days ago, and immediately the uh, the national security chief over there, uh, a far-right ultra-nationalist who's affiliated with anti-Arab hate groups, a guy by the name of Itamar Ben-Gavir, decided to go visit one of the most holy sites in Islam, the... Uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, area that Jews refer to as the Temple Mount. A lot of Ben Gavir's followers are far-right Zionists who want... They, they want Al-Aqsa raised. Yes, they want, they want to this tear down... Bulldoze. Yes, they want it bulldozed and replaced with Jewish temples. So while 
Netanyahu is like, oh, this isn't provocative. We're just maintaining the status quo that Jews can visit, but not pray there, whatever. We're not doing anything about that. Like, it's very clear what sort of message this visit sends to uh, Ben Gavir and Netanyahu's supporters. And it did elicit some condemnation. Well, it elicited a lot of condemnation around the world. The UAE called for the emergency UN meeting. And the U.S. is saying this is messed up. We are concerned by these events, which is farther than the U.S. usually goes. Worth noting, though, that no action was taken at the U.N. Security Council and the State Department has not made any indication that there will be a change in the relationship with Israel or the Netanyahu government as far as military aid that will continue flowing to the country. But this new government might be the best thing to happen to like the BDS movement and other uh, groups that are trying to raise awareness of the situation in Israel in Palestine and how it's an apart- apartheid government and how ethnic cleansing is going on there when you have a government that's just completely mask off about it. It's going to be terrible for the Palestinian people, obviously, and last year was uh, one of the deadliest years for Palestinians in decades um, in the West Bank. But it's probably only going to get worse in the short term. Well, I, I certainly don't want to suggest that um, Palestinians' liberation depends on what happens in the U.S., but it's certainly not encouraging that Ned Price thinks that it's it carries some weight to be like, well, we're not mad at them. We're just disappointed. Mm. And, we expected um, better. Yeah, so I don't know, man. I uh, things are looking grim, but I, I, yeah, I do hope this. Uh, the silver lining here is that um, Palestine, Palestine. Well, that that Palestinians' cause um, reaches a critical mass on the global level in the way that um, the original um, anti-apartheid movement did, and how it, you know, combined with domestic activism, international um, opinion making apartheid South Africa pariah is, I think, really helped bringing it to an end. And um, I don't know, maybe maybe the conditions are aligning in a in a way more favorable to, to Palestinians now because of that, but also, like, there are just so many worms at every levels of government in the U.S. and the EU that really I don't I think that I don't know the the the, the global opinion situation is more grim on this front. Yeah, and, and the amount of pain that's going to be inflicted on the Palestinian people in the short term in order to achieve that maybe critical mass of international solidarity that would also turn Israel into a pariah state in the same way that like South Africa was like the pain in the short term is, is going to be immense. Well, I believe that's the smell of Foya follies. 
That's right. Slightly better smell uh, than the garbage can, which is coming up next. This week, we're pulling on threads related to the FTX collapse, because why the hell not? In this request, we're focusing on the regulated banks that had ties to Sam Bankman-Fried's sweaty, awkward empire. (laughs) One of those firms, Silvergate Bank, was revealed this week to have lost $718 million in the implosion. The bank lost the money selling financial assets to cover the $8 billion in withdrawal requests made by customers in November because of the news stories showing that FTX was built on the fakest of fake money. 68% of Silvergate deposits were withdrawn in the fourth quarter, which could actually be some kind of record, according to the Wall Street Journal's reporting. The bank also said it had to cut 40% of its 200-employee workforce, and executives denied allegations from lawmakers that they facilitated FTX plundering its customers' money, which we discussed weeks ago on this show. The denial does come off as somewhat awkward this week, however, because federal prosecutors told a bankruptcy court on Wednesday that they seized $143 million in FTX money from Silvergate and another bank affiliated with the defunct cryptocurrency trading firm. That other bank, Moonstone, was bought in 2020 by the Bahamas-based Deltec, which itself gained notoriety as being the banker for Tether, which is the sketchy stablecoin which has propped up the entire cryptocurrency market and could actually still be stopping it from going to zero, with its market cap still over $60 billion, down from more than $80 billion at its peak in April of last year. But that $60 billion in Tether shows that people are still at the casino, churning away, hoping that uh, somehow the roulette wheel of, you know lands on 36 red or whatever it is they have. 36 red coin. The Fed approved Deltec's takeover of Moonstone in the summer of 2021, around the time that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was reportedly sounding the alarm about Tether possibly being capable of destabilizing the entire financial system. Nine months later, FTX sunk a shit ton of money into Moonstone, growing its balance sheet by a size that, per banking industry analysts, should have caused various regulators to hoist red flags. So I'm filing requests with the Fed, the FDIC, and the OCC for all records of emails involving Moonstone, Silvergate, a number of officials from the three agencies and private sector actors. Because why the hell not? For those saying the FTX collapse could have been a lot worse for the financial system, well... Bad news. I mean, the aftershocks are still coming, so uh, we may as well dive into this stuff. One more item before moving on. If you were affected by the breakdown in air travel this holiday season and found yourself steaming about Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and his refusal to use his power to fine reckless airline companies, just a reminder, we filed a FOIA request months ago for records on his numerous meetings with airline CEOs at the start of his tenure. Also, uh, good bad news, this stuff will likely be relevant for another 22 months. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow announced this week that she isn't running in 2024, 
Stabenow is a Democrat representing Michigan, which is the state where Buttigieg declared residency and registered to vote last year. Hopefully we get the records and report them out by the primary, or if we don't, someone else does. But what has already been released to us doesn't look good for Secretary Mayer. Records from his schedule showed that as he was meeting with one airline CEO after another, he was also doing high-profile media appearances, including late-night TV, and got more face time on TV than any other cabinet secretary. The metadata already shows that this dude is obsessed with climbing the ladder and is stepping on people sleeping on airport floors to get up a few rungs. And we're going to have a lot more on Mayor Pete here in just a minute. But first, we got to bring out that garbage can. Oh, it smells like piss. Oh, we gave it to all the... Uh, the Southwest Airlines passengers who are stranded uh, yeah. in various airports for 36 hours. Where, where are the what are the Southwest hubs? BWI. Poor sure. poor yeah. poor souls stranded at BWI. Yeah. Oh, it smells like the BWI Einstein bagels. I did pour some champagne in there on New Year's just to. <laughs> be a little festive garbage candidate number one Walgreens a viral video I should say a video went viral last year of a shoplifting incident at Walgreens and the company seized on it to claim that there's this mass epidemic of shoplifting that is affecting its bottom line uh financial press mainstream media picked it up as well it helped fuel the crime wave uh narrative that doesn't really have any uh connection to reality but it was also and it was also used as uh another cause of inflation that isn't corporate price gouging or profit seeking it was oh well we have to deal with all this theft so we got to raise prices to to cover our losses well in an earnings call this week an executive at walgreens said that they're in a pretty good place and that you know they probably cried a little too much about theft last year <laughs> and their numbers show that Walgreens would have actually earned billions of dollars in profit in 2022 had it not been for the fact that they had to pay out $5 billion in a settlement related to the opioid epidemic lawsuit. So it wasn't theft or anything that this company, Walgreens did hire some security guards, but the they said that that didn't really do anything or so they're not going to have security guards in store anymore. Um, but yeah, this is companies lie. <laughs> they lie. And then they admit it on earnings calls. They've been doing this shit a lot. The earnings calls are when company executives are their most honest. And it's a wonder why workers are still being blamed for inflation. Because on every fucking earnings call, an executive is telling investors... Yeah, we're boosting prices and enjoying record profits right now. It's great. It's great. 
Yeah, man, it's it's wild how much info uh, gets disclosed under securities law, and it just sort of like <laughs> this is this is like the this is the gold standard for information, right? Like the earnings reports and all this stuff that's under SEC scrutiny. That like all the I's and all the T's have to be uh, dotted and crossed, but it's still somehow that the the corporate you know media narratives that get out there like they always contradict that and it's it's the laziest shit uh confirmation bias seeking journalists who who you know will will read these press releases and be like oh great and you know they they don't care about the stories that matter about the about the reports that matter and it's just it's just frustrating man garbage candidate number 2 Oklahoma state senator David Bullard he introduced a bill this week that would ban gender-affirming health care for some adults. Legislation prohibits doctors from conducting health care procedures or referring patients for gender-affirming care if the patient is under 26 years old. So that's like eight years beyond when you're legally considered an adult. First off, any restrictions that deny people the health care that their doctors have determined that they need. Uh, health care procedures that have been proven in study after study to improve the quality of life of people who seek them. Any legislation that restricts that on phony religious grounds or big other bigoted sort of grounds is an abomination. But previously, the narrative is we have to stop kids from getting these procedures. Well, now it's moved on to adults, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. It was always going to be this way. I mean, this would ban adults, certain adults, from getting gender-affirming care. And it would forcibly medical, it would forcibly detransition people who are currently receiving gender-affirming health care. Disgusting bill. This is really sick shit, man. Yeah. This um Yeah. That's that's all that's all I have to say about it. It's it's really uh really depressing, really dark. Garbage candidate number three, Charlie Kirk and Dr. Drew. First some good news. It appears that uh Buffalo Bills defender Damar Hamlin, who had that shocking and frightening injury Monday night in which his heart stopped and he stopped breathing on the field during Monday night football. Were you watching that? I'm guessing you weren't watching that. Scene. No, I wasn't watching. I was watching it. It, it was scary as shit watching it. Um, but he's doing a lot better. Um, he's no longer on a breathing on a ventilator he's breathing on his own and he apparently facetimed his teammates on friday uh so he looks like he could make a, a full recovery uh, which is incredible and um thankfully that that's the case um but as soon as this happened within minutes of hamlin's injury you had these anti-vaxxer freaks taking to twitter and suggesting that this is somehow related to the COVID vaccine. You had a 
Charlie Kirk tweet, quote, this is a tragic. This is a tragic and all too familiar sight right now. Athletes dropping suddenly. Dr. Drew tweeting so disturbing another athlete who dropped suddenly. The implication is this has to do with the virus. This is what a lot of these anti-vaxxers are saying is that young people dying didn't used to happen before. Never happened in history. It's only happening now because of the vaccine. Yeah, they they said the same thing when uh, Christian Erickson had his heart attack. I mean, I don't know about um, Charlie Kirk and Dr. Drew specifically, though they probably did. But you had like Alex Berenson or whatever his name is. And it's it's just really, yeah. Like you have you have to be a really low, fucking you know, sub earthworm <laughs> to, to to make these kinds of uh, uh, to make these kinds of takes as the dude is still like laying there, lying there, fighting for his life. Yeah. Garbage candidate number four, DC Mayor Muriel Bowser. She's threatening to veto legislation that overhauled the city's criminal code by getting rid of mandatory minimums and other harsh sentencing. Uh, the, the overhaul also expands the right to a jury trial for those charged with misdemeanors. This is the first real major reform to D.C.'s criminal code in like 100 years. Bowser said of it, quote, None of us can be satisfied with young people using weapons and killing each other. Anytime there's a policy that reduces penalties, I think it sends the wrong message. God. It's like, well, these people are killing each other with these max penalties right now. They're not working. They clearly aren't deterring anything. Two things really irk me about this, which is one, this reform process was, it it, it was a lot, you know, a lengthy process that the city council undertook. And Almost 20 years. It's been going on for like since 20, 2006. And like she waits until after it's done to threaten a veto rather than trying to work constructively with uh, the city council. It, it, it's just so nakedly self-serving. And then there's also the fact that two years ago or a little over two years ago she made such a, a a point of grandstanding against trump with all the black lives matter um you know celebration and and turning 16th street into a black lives matter plaza right in front of the white house and at the time a lot of people in the city like knew as soon as the cameras turn off like muriel bowser is going to be supporting the the the, the most brutal uh, police bullshit that you can imagine, and sure enough, you know, she unfortunately proved all all the cynics correct. She did. The good news is her veto will likely be overturned. Sorry, Bowser, your uh, your police uh, is in another castle. That <laughs> 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 didn't really work. Garbage candidate number five, it's Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Went over some of it already in the show. The guy has had numerous warnings that there was going to be a travel meltdown on the holidays. He had a letter sent to him by 34 attorneys general, as reported by Lever News. He had lawmakers writing him, 
saying, hey, you need to pursue actions against these airlines or else this is going to keep happening. This was following a summer of mass flight cancellations. But not a single airline was fined a single dollar over this. And the Transportation Department has taken fewer enforcement actions last year than any year under Trump or under Obama. Just not doing shit. He's not doing shit. <laughs> Good luck in the Michigan primary, motherfucker. You expect people to shout this from the rooftops. Who are you leaning toward? I mean, the the worst person on this list is, is clearly David Bullard. But I know we don't always um, throw like the most morally repugnant person in the garbage can. Sometimes we do a little... I don't know. What do you think? I don't think there's any sort of rhyme or reason to who we throw in the garbage can each week. It is gut. And my gut tells me Charlie Kirk and Dr. Drew. All right, let's go with the gut. Charlie Kirk and Dr. Drew, you are going in the garbage can. can. Oh, a reunion with Adam Carolla, who is already in the garbage can for some reason. He's just living there. Oh, Charlie Kirk is, is, is... Doing a lot of the pain medications that he uh, that he advertises at uh, 2 a.m. on Fox News. Oh look, I can throw a football again. <laughs> that is the show. Thanks for watching or listening or however the hell you're probably listening. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be. <laughs> <laughs>